tested positive this week. And um, so I understand um, the fear that puts in us, and I understand um, uh, the re reasonable caution that we should live with. I, I, under, I understand that. But I, the fact that you're here today tells me that you and I agree on something. And that is, uh, in times like these, the church needs to be open and functioning. More, really. Really. More than ever, more than ever, we need to be functioning uh, as, as a church because people are, are stressed out. Uh, recently, uh, because of uh, a psychological counselor that I would refer people to, uh, uh, moved away. I had to find a new person. You know, I couldn't find, I, I have, I've not been able to find any counselor that has any room on their schedule. They are all overloaded. The one guy I finally got a hold of, he said he, he knew me from the past, and we have a very close mutual friend. Um, and he said, if you refer anybody to me, make sure you text me, and I'll try to prioritize them because I'm not answering calls. And this is happening all over the place. People are stressed. That's why we have to stay in business. Listen, I understand, uh, I understand the need to protect ourselves from getting sick. I understand the need to be considerate of others especially those who have, are vulnerable, have pre-existing conditions and those sort of things. But the church throughout history has always run toward pandemics, not away from them. I, I'm serious. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you clapped on that point because if you go back through history, the, the bubonic plague, the, the Cyprian plague in the third century, uh, the Christians made their mark on the Roman Empire by ministering to people who had play, who had who had disease, and ministering to people who who were victims of the pain, the church made its mark, not by running away in fear, but by running toward it. I know this. I know there's balance there. <laughs> you know, I understand that. And if, uh, if if I have a person in my life and I think I might be carrying something that's going to put them in the hospital and kill them. Uh, maybe I won't visit them today, okay? Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be stupid. But uh, on the other hand, I, I don't believe a follower of Jesus Christ can spend every day of their life just trying not to die. Amen. I just don't believe it. We are called, you know, even Governor Baker proclaimed from the beginning that religious workers, pastors, and those like me are, are essential workers. And when I saw that in print, I said, well, that means I need to open this church as soon as I can, and I need to take, I need to take calculated risk if I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I, th I think a lot of you uh, uh, agree with that. And, I'm, and you, you know, you'll be a lot happier. You'll just be a lot happier, not worrying all the time. Okay, um, I'm really excited about this series because it coincides with Week of Prayer, and it's called Experiencing God. Um, I don't make any apologies for spending a lot of my energies trying to prove to you that there is a God. But I have to confess that lately I find myself longing to feel the God that I've worked hard to defend. Uh, as I hope to communicate over the next few weeks, if the God I have intellectually grasped and whose existence I rarely doubt anymore is truly there, the goal of our experiencing him is even more important than proving that he exists. <laughs> and and the, the key to that 
I want to talk to you about today is paying attention. Paul defended his faith to a group of hostile pagans at the Areopagus or Mars Hill, as you may know it, in Acts chapter 17. Um, uh, the Areopagus, I can't say that word, um, Mars Hill, it was like a court. It was like Paul was brought to court to defend this message of the resurrection. And he, he said to them, in him we live and move and have our being. He said, that's what your poets say. Now think about that for a minute. He's saying, you pagans, hostile pagans, are living and moving in the presence of God. He said, he said um, he proceeded to query them about a statue they had to an unknown deity. He basically said, you're experiencing God, but you're not paying attention. Peter Cesaro is a pastor in New York City who's written and spoken extensively on being an emotionally healthy Christian. And he said, paying attention is the core of the Christian life. Uh, he quotes Simone, Simone Weil, who said, the only way we can love people is if we know how to pay attention. Uh, she went on to say, the most generous thing we can give to somebody who is suffering is pay attention to them. It's very rare in our culture and difficult to pay attention to a suffering person because we are so bad at it. We would rather give them money and move on. Pastor Cesaro asked the question, as he quotes Simone Weil, am I paying attention to God? Yes, we should think about God, but experiencing God is where it's at. If we only think about God but don't experience him, our thinking is futile. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. And then Romans 5.18 uh, says, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace. There are 11 specific ways, I counted them, I went through the 23rd Psalm this week, and I counted 11 specific ways that the psalmist David experienced God in the 23rd Psalm. That's probably the most famous and most quoted psalm of all. And consider Luke chapter 2, 24 rather, verse 32. These are, this is a little, uh, a little snapshot of two men who uh, have come from Jerusalem and have witnessed this, uh, uh, at least from a distance, this crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And to their, to their knowledge, he is dead and gone. And these were disciples of Christ, and they're so disappointed. Unknown to them, Christ joins them and walks them. This, this uh, Cleopas is the, the, the only name mentioned, and his companion, a lot of scholars believe that was Cleopas' wife that was with him that day. But as they walk along, Jesus begins to walk to them, and him begin, walk with them and begin to talk to them. And they've said, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus begins to explain from the prophecies of Old Testament Scripture that this was, that this was prophesied, that there would be, a, would be a Savior who would come and die and suffer for the sins of the people and be raised on the third day. And listen what they said after he magically disappeared as they're breaking bread in the home. He, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. Now, now Cleopas and his companion were experiencing the intellectual defense. So the word apologetic we use sometimes means to, to defend the faith. 
They experienced the intellectual apologetics, but what they weren't, what they weren't paying attention to, and only in retrospect did they, did they get it, is they were also experiencing what I call an emotional apologetic of the Holy Spirit moving on them. Something was happening in their emotional center as Jesus talked to them. For those of you who have never let yourself yield to the feeling of God, and some of the rest of you who, have, for reasons we'll explore in the series, you've cut the nerves to your spiritual sensitivities. Let's get still. And let's once again feel our hearts on fire with divine presence and transcendent peace. That's what I want to talk about in the series. As you know, I was teaching a class, and I will teach it again, called The Case for God. And I, I'm, I'm on a quest. Some of you who know me and talk to me a lot, you know I'm on a quest to develop the Christian mind. I, I don't have a great mind, but that's why I want to help develop the Christian mind. Because I've, I realize what a problem it is <laughs> when your mind is not well developed. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, a, that's a lot big subject about the development of the Christian mind. But I'm, but I'm on this quest and, and to do that and to recover thinking as a Christian activity and, and not just relegated to the folks at the universities. Nevertheless, though, when I survey my class and ask them, how did you become a Christian? I have not had one single person say, I became a Christian because someone proved to me that God created the world. Someone proved to me Beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. I've had nobody who said I became a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ because someone scientifically proved to me that the facts were true. Now they acknowledge the facts are true and they're very encouraged when they find out there's archaeological evidence, prophetic evidence. Uh, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a list of evidence as long as my arm that, that we, have, we have not kissed our brains goodbye to, be, to believe in God and become followers of Jesus Christ. But none of them found that type of science of apologetics be what brought them to Christ. Every one of them talked about a feeling they had one day. Everybody talked about, I was in this place and some guy was talking and I started crying. I don't know what happened to me. I remember one of the most faithful church members that I had in my first church you know, all those years ago. We're still... We're still connected and talk every once in a while today. Rick, Rick Jim, Rick and Barbara Jim, wonderful, wonderful people. They live out in Marshall now. That was back in Westfield. And I remember, um, of course, in those days, um, I was even more insecure than I am now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I wanted to believe that my preaching was so powerful that it would cause people to want to come back to church. <laughs> and I, I remember after Rick got, became a Christian and started following Christ, and I get to talk to him one day about his first time at church. He said, you know, I didn't understand anything you were saying. <laughs> but he said, I felt something that I'd never felt before. Amen. And what's wrong with that? I mean, how many of you out here that, that, that are, you're either married or you have your special someone in your life made the decision after scientific analysis. <laughs> if you ever decide to acknowledge, you'd probably, get, you'd probably leave them, man, if you ever put them under the test tube. <laughs> if, you ever, if, you ever, if, if, you know, if you ever broke down their body chemistry or something, you know. Or <laughs> no, 
it was a feeling that came over you, man. <laughs> when you saw her across the room, you just felt something. You felt a stirring in your heart, right? <laughs> I, I, we, we have a staff retreat every year where we go and we talk about these sermons. We talk about, we, we, we outline a year's worth of preaching. And uh, we, we found out, Scott, that the Holy Spirit can actually plan he can plan out six months ahead. He doesn't, he doesn't have to speak in the moment all the time, you know. And so uh, I asked the guys it, it, uh, it, this year, uh, I said, tell me about your call to ministry. I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but tell me about your call to ministry. You know, every single, all, all three of our, the past pastoral staff that were there all said, uh, besides myself, all said it was a time in prayer when I felt God move on my heart. They all said something like that. It was a time in prayer when I felt God move on my heart. It wasn't it was a result of a personality analysis, of a gift analysis, I, any of those things. It was because they felt the calling of God. A pastor, pastor Steve Hawley is a friend of mine, and uh, I serve on a, a board of his ministry. And uh, he... Um, he, he's an avid hiker. He loves to hike. Um, I mean, I never could get that. I can just sit and look at pictures of mountains. I don't need to climb them. <laughs> but he loves to climb them. And our own John Wiersman, John's here this morning, but John's also an avid hiker. And he, he now is looking into starting a ministry to hikers. Because he told me, he said, what I, what I discovered that I never expected was everybody I talked to on these trails, they all talked about, when you talk to them, why do you hike? It's because of that transcendent feeling they get when they're looking at a vista or a horizon that they haven't seen before. When they get to that spot that they've been looking forward to getting to, or maybe they weren't even expecting it. And we've all, we've all been there, right? You, how many have been to the Grand Canyon? So there's something awesome about it. There's something about it. You know, I, I'll, ne I'll never forget a moment of great discouragement a few years ago, and I went to Jensen Beach. And it's not the most remarkable beach, I guess, at Cape Cod, but it's, uh, it's nice. And uh, I was very, very discouraged. And, and, and I sat there on those jetties and looked at the ocean, and I, would, I wasn't thinking about a song or trying to conjure up a song, but these words started coming to me. Uh, if, uh, if, uh, if the sky w uh, 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 was filled and, and all the sky of parchment made and every tongue on earth a quill and all the, uh, all, the, all, all the sky was parchment, I got that wrong, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean completely dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, those, stre those stretched from sky to sky. Those words came pouring into me, and I began to weep, and it washed away all my discouragement. What was happening to me at that moment? Well, there's some things that don't fit a purely scientific plausibility structure. That was a moment that's outside of a scientific plausibility structure. But you can never convince me I didn't experience God. As I looked at his creation, 
and begin to compare it with his love. There's some people in this church right now who need this. You need to experience God. You need to take a break from studying him. I think I'm the lead one in this. Um, just as, you know, the Holy Spirit's pretty interesting. In how just, just as I'm working on the series, I start running across all these stories that I hadn't seen before about people who are experiencing God. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few snapshots in some of these personalities. They're, they're well-known personalities. And, and I'm not lifting them up as spiritual leaders or anything like that. Uh, or you may know things about their character that aren't good. I, I, I'm not lifting these people up as people you should go to for all your spiritual wisdom. But I find it remarkable. It seems like, maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm just focusing on it right now, but it seems like we're in this time where a lot of uh, celebrity types are reaching for God. Are you, are you, are you reading those stories too? Uh, here's one. Michaela Peterson, the daughter of philosopher Jordan Peterson, recently, I'm going to read it to you, has recently spoken publicly about finding faith. Speaking on her podcast, she said she was recently encouraged by a friend to explore God after facing four difficult situations in her life. I went home that night and I was pretty upset about these four major problems. I was in bed, so I was praying, seriously praying. The next day, all four problems cleared up in ways that made sense. It was logical. They could have cleared up, but the likelihood of all four of them randomly clearing up that day was just too much. I also woke with a sense of calm that I hadn't felt, and that wasn't enough. I was like, okay, that's good enough for me. Michaela says, doubts soon emerged, though, but were overcome following an experience in a dream. I woke up 5.30 in the morning. I had a dream. This loud, thundering voice just yelled, do it. I woke up thinking, I just got yelled at by God. <laughs> I think that just happened. That's what I felt like. I had a rough time thinking about what this meant, but then it occurred to me, it just meant go all in. Responding to her experience, her father Jordan questioned whether this was a reinforcement of the biblical teaching which warns against being lukewarm in faith. Michaela said she feels in a better place than she ever has been. I'm pretty new to this, what I've been doing for the last like month or so, reading the Bible and praying. It's been like the amount of peace I've never had before. It's completely absurd. Now... If you're Jordan Peterson's daughter, you should have no um, lack of spiritual and emotional advice. So why did she need something else? Well, perhaps there is something else. Chris Pratt, I know you're familiar with him, but he just shared this week with his 34 million Instagram followers. He said, I knew... I thought, he's talking about a time when he was depressed a few days ago. I knew, though, that if I put on my Christian music playlist and got out in the woods and ran, that I'd feel better. But I just didn't want to. I did it anyway. And gosh, was I right. I, it felt amazing. I got out in the woods, got my blood pumping, and God sat down there right next to me. Rep By the way, rumors suggest that he was listening to another in the fire. <laughs> by Hillsong United. And, and, and uh, listen to the story of Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins' conversion to Christianity came out of his addiction. You know this story? 
How many of you know this story? Um, he says, and I, I read, addictions, uh, Anthony's addiction started innocently. He adopted a worldly mindset and drank because that's what you do in theater, you drink. But as is the case too often, the social pastime soon took over his life. By 1975, Anthony's drinking had spiraled out of control. I was hell-bent on destruction. The award-winning actor recalled, it was like being possessed by a demon, an addiction, and I couldn't stop. And there are millions of people around like that, he says. This is his quote. Sir Anthony Hopkins realized he needed help, so he turned to Alcoholics Anonymous. Up until then, Anthony Hopkins had been an atheist, but during an AA meeting, a woman asked him a simple question. Why don't you just trust God? It's not something Anthony ever tried, but as desperate as he was, he thought, well, why not? Deciding to believe and trust in God was the moment everything changed. I quote, I could not stop drinking, but I just asked for a little help and suddenly, pow, it was like bingo. He recalled, miraculously, the craving to drink was taken from him, never to return again. And I continue. Other day, Britney Spears and her blog. <laughs> I, I know you're waiting to hear from the wise spiritual leader, Britney Spears. She said, prayer is a constant in my life. She closed her blog by saying, pray, 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 in all caps. So I'm extremely insecure, and I probably care too much. That's all I got, prayer. Simone Veal said, prayer is the orientation of all the attention of which the soul is capable toward God. Let me give you, in closing today, three pay-attention giveaways, takeaways, not giveaways, takeaways. So if God is all around us, why are some of us not experiencing God? You see, I, I, I intentionally, I very intentionally didn't want to come to you today and talk to you about quiet times and scheduling prayer times. We'll talk about that later because that, that matters. I, I want to talk to you about God. I, I want you to see today that God is everywhere and everything I want you to see today that you experience God when you eat a meal with your family. You experience God when you hold a baby. You experience God when you have a date with your best friend or spouse. You experience God when you watch a sporting event. You experience God when you go to a concert. You experience God when you sit in church. You experience God when you drive in your car. That You experience God everywhere in your life. And the only reason that some of us don't feel him is because we're not paying attention. So, number one, start looking for God all the time, everywhere. I don't think everything has a purpose. I believe there's randomness in the universe. But don't treat anything as though it's random. Always hold it and look at it and consider that it might be God talking to you, helping you, touching you, encouraging you. I, I know I've told my cancer journey stories so much, I won't repeat them. I, but I do repeat them to myself often because I so found God. I so found God in cancer. I so found God at 
Dana-Farber and St. Vincent's and with the nurses and the doctors, I, I could tell you, I, could tell you I, got, I have about 10 or 12 stories that I have told in the past about things, you know, I don't believe anything just happens. I don't believe anything just happens. Well, maybe some things. I do believe in randomness. You know, I, I, I say that because there's always somebody who, who just reads God into things. You go, wait a minute, I just think that just happened. You know, I mean, you know, I, I told you a story at the time about the woman who told me to go to a certain restaurant and, and she said, if God allows you to, order those scallops, if he allows you. <laughs> and I just wanted to say to her, I don't think God gives a rip whether I order scallops <laughs> or sushi. I don't know. He might, though. Who knows? I felt him ordering me to eat barbecue the other day. I just <laughs> Mexican food. He often leads me to eat Mexican food. <laughs> Start looking for God all the time everywhere. Most of the time, when we want to move people closer to God, we talk about the quiet time and schedule. But I believe we should start, like, Moses, it's a burning bush. He wasn't, he wasn't planning a quiet time that day. He was just doing. He was just going. He was just going to the office. When when Jacob saw a ladder extending from earth to heaven, he was just trying to get some get a night's sleep. Sometimes we forget God is chasing us. Paul on 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 the road to Damascus, he wasn't looking for God. He thought he already had him. He thought he had God sewed up in his backpack. But God came looking for Paul. The, the two men on the road to Emmaus, they were, they were going home to go find another religion because this one didn't work. But Jesus found them. Jesus, I believe, is looking for you. He's showing up where you are. Amen? Psalmist David said, If I make my bed in hell, you are there. I you can't get any much lower than that. <laughs> Gerald Manley Hopkins had this famous quote in uh, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a whole book about it for Christ plays in 10,000 places lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his to the father through the features of men's faces and then Eugene Peterson one of the quotes from his book goes like this, God's great love and purpose for all of us are worked out in messes, in our kitchens, in backyards, in storms, in sins, blue skies, the daily work and dreams of our common lives. I love that. Look up. I mean, I mean, look all around for God today. Number two, look up as you look within. All of us look alternatively within as we look about. Don't we? Well, even, even right now, as I say words, you're looking back inside yourself to see how it makes you feel. You listen to what I say, and you look back inside yourself, and you may feel, I'm bored. You may feel uh, warmed by what I say. You're constantly, not, a, not in a bad way, but you're constantly judging how things are making you feel. Uh, that's what we do. Uh, but how does... But, but, 
What if you start looking not just out and within, but up? What is God saying to me through what the pastor is saying right now? Maybe it's boring me the way he's saying it. Maybe I wish he would be more interesting or he would be shorter. We'll get this over with because we have things to do. But now what if you would what if you would begin to ask yourself, what does God think? The Bible says find out what pleases the Lord. So, so it's always, okay, what does God think? It's a simple, simple question. Uh, uh, Peter Jones in Another Worldview, that's the title of the book, says that we either have a oneness view of the world or a two-ness view of the world. It's either nature is all there is or nature and God is what there is. The, the prevailing view of Eastern religion, which has, which, has, which has had an impact on Western thought in the last few years, is that all is one. But the Christian view is all is two. The, 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 see, the, the, the more that modernity surrounds us with architecture, inventions, innovations, and technology, the more we get stuck looking out and looking within and not looking up. I, would, I, would, I spent some time in Boston a few, uh, a few weeks ago and staring at the incredible architecture of the buildings. And I, 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 I blurted out to no one in particular, I think Sherry was around, and heard me say it, no wonder we don't believe in God, because we are so accomplished. We are so technolo- technologically... I can imagine if I built that building over there, and at the time I was staring at the Christian Science uh, Monitor buildings, that whole uh, uh, place there, the whole area there, and I was thinking, if I built all this, I would probably say, God, I don't really need you. I'm pretty good. <laughs> and we haven't, even seen, we haven't even seen what artificial intelligence is going to, going to be. We haven't, we're, we've only scratched the surface of what AI is going to pretend to do for us. And so, so mankind is on a track to become lonelier and lonelier and lonelier and more separated from God because we get stuck in this oneness view that there's only us in nature. There's only nature, that's all there is, and our ability to manage nature. The problem of looking out, looking within to see what other amazing things can do is we imagine that, that, we, imagine that we don't need God, but, but these guys on the road to Damascus said, didn't our hearts burn within us? There was, there's a part of us that's not touched by architecture, by innovations, and by all of that. And, and we keep thinking. You know, humans keep thinking, the next, the next technological advance, we're going, to do, we're, we're, we're going to be done. And we're going to conquer our inner need for, for any deity because we're going to be the deity. But it's not. We, we always get to that top of that mountain and we see we didn't get to the mountain we thought we got to. We didn't do what we thought we did. So, so don't complicate things, friends. Contrary to culture's assumption, there are only two trains moving in two opposite directions and arriving at very different destinations. There is only nature or self. It's just both the same. Only the natural world and my ability to manipulate it with technology. I mean, this pandemic is a great example of this. Of this. So, so there's only one, one other view, and that there is nature, and nature's God. So we either worship nature or the maker of nature. Amen. The apostles said, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He talks about following the rays of the sun to the sun. 
But the transcendent person, the person who knows God, looks beyond the sun. The person who knows God said, who made that sun? So everything we experience, see, everything that we, even the great technology, and I love technology, I think it's awesome, and all the technology was experienced, we experienced came from something that was created. It came from something, even if it's artificial materials, even if it's synthetic materials, it still had to come from something that was created. It had to come from creation. And so I want to know the one who made the stuff that the stuff is made out of. I want to be involved. I want the person who made the stuff that the stuff is made of to start filling my life. And that must be where I get fulfillment and meaning and purpose and joy is to have a transcendent source of everything. Finally, I want to say this. Soften your heart. And yield to the good feelings of God. Some of you are terrified of joy. You're terrified of peace. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you're called to peace. Zephaniah 3.17, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Hopefully I'll have time before I close. I'm, I'm nearing close. You said, you said thank God. But um, to remind you of the context that they wrote it. Because see, right now everybody's thinking, oh, how could we be, have any joy and peace with everything that's going on in the world? Nobody's ever had it this rough before. <laughs> Study your history. <laughs> Some of... Some people won't yield to God's good feelings of love and joy and peace because they've been hurt, wounded and scarred by offenses, unfairness, injustice. I understand it. And sensitivities of other people. Did God offend you? Some won't yield to God's good feelings because you feel... Your offenders need to be reminded that they've offended you, so you must, in your tone, your body language, your speech and facial expression, remind them that they need to say they're sorry. <laughs> I, I heard of a, a woman who came into a guy, and she was, I don't understand why I don't have any friends. He, he said, uh, he was a, a, a public speaker, and, and he shouldn't have said this, but he did it. He said, it's your face. <laughs> she said, what? He said, it's your face. He said, your face tells me that you've been hurt by a lot of people. And I don't want to be the next person. So that, that, he said it. I didn't, okay? But we can be that way. We can think, I gotta, people have to pay. If, if I start acting happy and joyful people will quit trying to apologize to me. You, you know, your problem is you're putting your, you're putting your eggs in the wrong basket. In Him we live and move and have our being. Amen. It's the Spirit of God. I need Jesus. I, I love you, 
but I need Jesus. You matter to me, but he is supreme. That's what I'm talking about. So some won't yield to God's good feelings of love and joy and peace because the world needs a judge. You just know that. The world needs a judge, and judges don't bring down the gavel announcing love, joy, and peace. Or maybe it's because you feel, or some of these people feel, that this silly world needs, to, needs them to be the guardians against silliness and foolishness. And uh, so they carry around a small bucket of cold water, pouring on anybody who has embers of enthusiasm, you know. It, yes, that was a good post you made, but don't you know that you are, it's Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, not Y-O-U-R. Did you read the po- Did you get anything out of it besides that? You know, uh, I don't think Jeremy Smith's here. Are you right, Jeremy? Here, Jeremy edits my post that I do every week, and he's 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 really go- he's a good writer. He's, he's he was a journalist, and he he does all the inter- internal communication for New Balance, or works on the team that does that. So um, he's you know what he'll do every week? He'll text me and say that is terrific. And then he'll proceed to change my wording on about five different things and correct all kinds of mistakes. So you wonder why I'm making less mistakes. Like this, this week, I didn't have him do a holiday. I found two mistakes after I sent it out. So whatever. Um, you, can, you can go around in life trying to fix everybody so you don't enjoy anybody. Amen? Maybe you resist joy and peace because you're so obsessed with practicality of living an ordinary time that you almost never let yourself live in eternal time. Time is seen to you as a precious commodity that must not be wasted. We must do something productive with all of our time. You know, sometimes being in God's presence is very wasteful, very inefficient way to spend your time. Coming to prayer every night, that's such an inefficient way to spend your week. Think of all the things you could accomplish if you don't come to prayer. All the things you could clean and all the things you could straighten up and organize and all the things you could invent if you just didn't pray. But, but, but wait a minute. Here's what I believe. I believe when I work, I work. And I, we should work. That's biblical. But when I pray... God works. And what you're doing when you connect with God, you're moving from ordinary time to eternal time. And God can make things happen in eternal time that will super, supersede what's happening in ordinary time. And you already believe that because you're, you're, you're wasting your morning listening to me. <laughs> I'm going to quit here in a minute. Oh, one more, one more thing. I just, I'm trying to get rid of all the reasons you won't let God's peace come into your life. Because there's a lot of problems in the world. And we have to remain vigilant and remind all the slackers that they better get serious about utopia or it may never come about. <laughs> I want to close by having us think about the beginning of this thing we are all engaging in right now, which is the meeting of the New Testament church. You are doing what got put into place in the book of Acts chapter 2. 
Uh, listen, when we talk about utopia, I don't like a lot of things that are going on in the world today. I don't like a lot of things that are going on in the Western world in particular. I don't like some of the ways that authoritarian creep is characterizing many governments around the world. And I believe we should fix what we can, bring justice, righteousness, and knowledge where we can. But hit the pause button for a minute and think. When the believers went to the upper room and spent 10 days waiting on God, civil liberties were at an all-time low. Things were bad. You, you, you think a, a, a vaccination mandate here or there is severe? Go read about the Roman government. Civil liberties were at an all-time low. And God said, go to Jerusalem and wait till you be endued with power from on high. God said to his people, go have Pentecost in the middle of a world that was a mess, imperfect, totalitarian, all the things that so many people are afraid of right now and worried about right now. In fact, they had such joy and they had such an experience with God that the people in the neighborhood accused them of having a drunken party. I, I, I'm about ready for a church service like that. <laughs> Where people say, those people say they don't believe in drinking, but I think they do. <laughs> what are we waiting for? Let's have another Pentecost, all right? Let's stand to your feet, please. I don't think you could stand to anything else but your feet. <laughs> I want you to bow your heads for a second. I want to introduce that person in this room who hasn't met Jesus in an intimate, personal way to meet him right now. The Bible says that his, that he's not far from any of us. It said his word, it, 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 he is nigh thee even in thy mouth, that the word of faith which we preach, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I want to pray a prayer right now. And if you have never prayed this prayer before, I want you to pray it with me. You can pray it quietly, even silently. But pray it at least in your mind. Dear Father, I come to you. I confess that I have been separated from you. But I ask you to bring me back into your family. And I confess that Jesus Christ died on the cross to bring me back and has risen from the dead. And even at this moment is praying for me to you, Father. And so I receive him as my Savior and Lord. And I purpose to walk with him and experience the transcendent, powerful God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Let's experience God this month, okay?